0: We laugh, giggle, and guffaw. Why? What happens in our brain? And is any of this any benefit to us? I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. And with me today is Dr. Scott Weems, a cognitive neuroscientist and recent author of the well-received book, Ha! The Science of When We Laugh and Why. To begin with, Dr. Weems, what prompted you to write this book and what audience were you directing it to?
1: Thank you. I wrote it for non-scientists, was my goal. There have been some people who have written more technical investigations into laughter, although most of them focused on laughter rather than humor, because laughter is easier to measure. But I'm not only am I a cognitive neuroscientist, I, I just love comedy. I love humor. And so I wanted to merge these two sides uh, of my own life, which I think most people share. It's just an intellectual curiosity about how the brain and the mind operates, along with just a love for humor, which I think so much of us have.
0: You know, I never thought of humor causing conflict in my brain. But early on in your book, you described this as a basic concept. What, what does that mean?
1: It is people, primarily people who are outside of the medical or psychological field, think of conflict as a bad thing. And that's, I mean, that's not unusual. And I mean, most conflict that we think of when we think of examples, is negative. It's conflict between people. But as we know, conflict is really just more of an internal process too. Anytime we come to some situation with some expectation or paradigm and then we're thrown out of that, that's a conflict-ridden situation. And that's a lot of life, particularly if we're just curious beings. And so that's why I think I'm less interested in what makes a joke is what makes humor from a psychological standpoint. I think it really has to do with conflict, which is why we laugh at a lot more than just jokes.
0: Well, you talk about constructing, reckoning, and resolving, playing a role in jokes and understanding jokes. Could you go into greater detail for me and for our audience?
1: Sure. I came up with those three stages because humor is, is, is complicated, as we know. And there's a lot of different theories for why we laugh. There's, there's what's known as the incongruity theory, where we laugh at things that surprise us, superiority theory, where we laugh at other people. But really, I like to link it to these three psychological processes, which basically involve setting up an expectation, so you think you know what's going on. And then pretty soon you've got to reckon what's wrong with that, because you were wrong. And I I think of the old Groucho Marx line that I I like so much, that yesterday I shot an elephant in my pajamas. How it got in my pajamas, I have no idea. In just a sentence, you construct an expectation that Groucho Marx is wearing pajamas. You're shocked out of that. And then you've got a resolution, which is kind of funny. It's imagining an elephant in pajamas. And so I think you need all three of those stages, the expectation, the violation, and then the destination, to really laugh and find something funny.
0: Early on in the book, you also talk about neurohormones, dopamine, playing a role. I've read in this area that people call it the Eureka moment. And although you don't mention that, it sounds like it would fit this kind of action.
1: It is. I mean, that's why I wanted to call the book Ha! because humor is discovery and we like that. It's enjoyable. A passive brain, as we all know, is not a healthy brain. And so I think the special thing about jokes, or at least as most people think about jokes, is that they're just very quick. I mean, you you get that discovery and and surprise sometimes very quick in the course of just a single sentence.
0: You describe humor as exercise for our brain. Why aren't we using it more, say, in early dementia?
1: Yeah, I mean, so many studies have looked and seen that um, just doing things like crosswords will help stave off dementia. Humor is a great example of, of... basically the same kind of thing. I don't know of any studies that have actually looked at, you know, humor and and prolonging mental health, but I would fully expect it to help because it is exercise for the brain. You're you're essentially giving yourself a cognitive workout when you're working through humor. And so that's why you see a lot of different benefits, a, a wide range of things, everything from improved heart health to immune system response.
0: And also you're beginning to see that humor may help in pain control. Would you care to comment on this?
1: Yeah, there was some fascinating studies. One was by I believe it was James Rotten who essentially monitored people post surgery they were minor surgeries, things like knee surgeries and things like that, and had people during their recovery process watch funny movies and The people that watched funny movies, they requested less pain medication, and I believe they were discharged from the hospital quicker too, which is fascinating and there've been other studies in more controlled environments like with the it's called the cold compressor test where you basically put hand in nearly freezing water and then see how long you can keep it there and being exposed to humor will will make you keep your hand in the cold water longer you you have a higher pain threshold so there's a saying, uh, humor is a lot like changing a baby's diaper. It, it might not be a permanent solution, but it certainly makes life more pleasurable for a while.
0: I see. And in your book, you also describe that humor may help me when I take tests or certainly help my grandchildren if they take SATs. Is there proof that this really works? If you watch a funny movie, if you don't have as much anxiety prior to a test because of humor, I may score better?
1: It, I would known this back when I
0: was in school. Me too.
1: It's been very helpful for me. Yes, uh, specifically for things like insight problems. These are the kind of problems that, where the solution comes suddenly and, and without advanced warning. These, these are the kind of things that humor especially is helpful for. So if you watch a comedy before taking a test like that or any sort of creativity-related test, humor helps. And I think the reason is for the same reason when you, you mentioned the exercise metaphor. It's a good thing to get the brain thinking. I mean, like I said, passive brain is an unhealthy brain. And so if you're, you're working through punchlines before taking that test, it's a, it's a good warm-up.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Reach MD. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard. And joining me today is Dr. Scott Weems, a cognitive neuroscientist who has just written a book well-received in the press called Ha! The Science of When We Laugh and Why. Uh, Dr. Williams, to continue, is there really some psychological benefits that may happen as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, there have been almost too many studies to count to show that having a good sense of humor and a humor-filled life leads to positive, positive things, you know, regardless of psychological health. Interestingly enough, though, it really depends on the kind of humor because the self-deprecating negative humor, that can have negative effects. It actually increases depression and anxiety. So like any sort of exercise, I I wouldn't recommend jogging in a smog-filled tunnel. Um, Humor is great, but it should be used responsibly too.
0: Well, is there then physiologic benefits too, such as blood pressure, anxiety, tension, depression, physiologic changes that may take place if we deal with humor?
1: Yeah, there are. This was a series of studies by Dr. Miller at University of Maryland, and he found that uh, just simply laughing, being exposed to laughter and, and through comedy improved blood pressure. I think he called it vasoreactivity i 'm not an m d so i 'm sure that i 'm sure most listeners know more about this than I do, but essentially it makes the blood vessels more pliable, which is basically the opposite of of the same findings which have shown that stress and anxiety has negative heart health consequences. So I I think it's just basically humor has the benefit of being in some ways the opposite of anxiety and stress. It really loosens us up and provides some important heart benefits.
0: Has there been any evidence to show that it may affect our longevity?
1: There are, but this is unfortunate. From all this, you would think that this means that laughter and humor would make you live longer. But oddly enough, it's opposite. Uh, which, this, was, this was. the mo- People ask me what's the most surprising thing I learned, and this was. This was the most surprising that a longitudinal study actually followed people from birth to death and measured personality factors that led to longer lives. Uh, conscientiousness was the most helpful thing. So if you're a conscientious person, that can add maybe 5 years to your life. But sense of humor shortens it and I think it has to do not much but a little bit. I think that has to do with the fact that humorous people tend to smoke and drink more. So, you know, they they lead fuller lives which in some ways Bad, you know, if it leads to bad things like drinking. But in other ways, too, I mean, it really depends on the kind of humor. So if you have a negative humor or sardonic, dark attitude, that might not be helpful either. You know, you
0: mentioned that one of the common factors all comedians have is that they are great observers of others. In my experience, all great physicians had this in common. Is it possible that this interest in observation can be used in medicine to improve the art of medical education?
1: So absolutely. And in fact, again, I feel like I'm, I'm citing a lot of studies, but I just find it so fascinating that uh, humor helps education. We we know that. So if you include humor-related bits in, in a lecture, as long as it's related to the stuff you want people to remember, then studies have shown that will help retention. So using humor in the classroom is a good thing too. And I think the reason. For this is is again with the exercise metaphor. The more you're getting people to think at a deeper level about what they're focusing on, this can even include the patient. If the patient is keeping a positive attitude, thinking about their future health in a positive way, then that leads to positive
0: benefits. I remember in med school, one of the very popular teachers actually was a man named Marcus Carroll. He was a dermatologist and he would show slides and he'd say, you're not going to remember this picture, but let me tell you about the farmer's daughter. And sure enough, you would, whenever you saw the slide during an exam, you would remember the joke and you could hear people laughing in the back of the room at the joke as they had made this association with his teaching tool. In fact, people used to go back to his class afterwards just to hear his newest jokes. You know, I've always been puzzled, in including myself in this, doctors always use gallow humor. Often at the most inappropriate time, and unless you were a physician, you wouldn't understand it. You might think it's even inappropriate. What do you think this means? It's so often used in relation to when doctors feel they have failed.
1: It is, and doctors are not alone on this. This is doctors, soldiers, anybody who's in a profession where they they sometimes deal with very uh, life-changing events. Humor is, is rife, and, and like you said, it's called gallows humor. And what was was the book called House of God? I think. Yes, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a funny and dark novel.
0: He turfs patients, right? Get out of my oh, emergency so room, right? Term, Gomer.
1: Her Gomer. That was the term. many great terms out of that book? And there, there's a term for it in some contexts. It's called rapid truthing. That what happens sometimes is you're really just getting at the truth. Uh, a lot faster than people are accustomed to. And so there's one anecdote. I don't think I made it in the book. I, I know that my sensors were concerned about it. But there's the story of doctors who are treating an, a newborn patient who they know is not going to survive. And it's, it's basically at a, at a cognitive loss. It's, they're just prolonging the life, and it's not going to have a real life. And the debate just goes on for a long time, and they don't know how they're going to deal with it. And finally, one of the doctors, just frustrated, says, look, he's more likely to be second base than play it and you should go oh my goodness how harsh is that but that's that's an example of rapid truthing he's just getting at a fact a lot more quickly than most people are comfortable with but sometimes truth needs to be shared one
0: way or the other i was an internist and the doctor's office is a really a treacherous place to introduce humor where might it improve a doctor patient relationship where can you come to a line and then not cross it
1: I I think is is useful in almost all circumstances. The only times in which I'd say someone needs to be careful is the difference between seriousness and solemnity. There are times when it's it's appropriate to be solemn, and that's not when you use humor. But there's no conflict between being serious and humorous. And so it really depends on what the goal of the situation is. I would say the humor is is useful in, in most situations. The only thing is, again, there's a saying if you want to make a point, tell a story. But if you want to make multiple points at once, tell a joke. And so it really depends on what the doctor is trying to convey. If it's a simple point that is solemn, then maybe not. But if you're trying to make a few subtle points and maybe lighten it a little bit, but
0: keep it serious, then I think humor is appropriate. You know, I think that's really a a great point. I can see that in the end of your book, you actually tried to do some stand-up comedy. I don't think uh, you were – I don't want to put words in your mouth. You might not have been a great success – I am glad that you stayed with your daytime job so that you've been able to write this book that's going to be so helpful to us.
1: Oh, thank you. And you can put words in my mouth because I did not do well, but I have no interest in being a professional comedian. I just wanted to see what it was like on stage. And it was a great experience, but I'm going to stick with with
0: science. Yeah, I I found that it was also good when my my wife hears that I'm doing this as a part-time thing. She says, you know, you've got a great face for radio. And uh, that was her little joke, and I don't, I don't know if she was joking or not. But I really want to thank you for joining us. I hope some of our listeners will take your book, look at it. There's a lot to be learned. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. This is Dr. Maurice Pickerton, and if you've missed any of this discussion, please visit ReachMD.com slash book club to download this podcast and many others in this series. Thank you for listening.